going on everyone great to have you here we're back i can see a lot of familiar faces david what's up who else we got in here jess great to see you and og andre spellman yeah let's go it's great to have some people back we're going to give everyone just a minute or two to get in here also some people from the refine labs team Braden, what's up i saw tessa in here yeah david feel free yeah let's get the chat going david is also an og i think david were you on episode one See a thumbs up. Were you on it? Yeah, David was on episode one of Demand Gen Live. So great to have you here. Let's get the chat going again. For some of you that uh, that may not know, this is episode one of a new show that we're doing called Revenue Vitals Live. Uh, it's weird. Like as I get up here and talk on camera, I actually have like the same level of butterflies that I did on episode one of Demand Gen Live in March 2020, when before that I had done almost no public speaking. Most of the people on this call probably didn't really know who I was or who I stood for. Um, and I'm really excited to to get back into the community, get back into the events and share a lot more knowledge. We also took a lot of feedback that we learned from Demand Gen Live, and I'll be talking about that in a minute. But before I get into the details of the new show, I wanted to express my immense gratitude for, uh, there's a lot of people that were a part of the Demand Gen Live community, also to Gatano Dinardi, who started that with me on a whim in March, 2020. We had no, we had no idea what we were doing but we knew that it was a tough time in the world and we wanted to bring people together and share our thoughts. And we, we built something really incredible out of it. And it was far exceeded my, my uh, dreams and wishes in the first day that we started it. And then over the next two years, we recorded more than a hundred episodes of Demand Gen Live that also started the State of Demand Gen podcast. I learned so much from the questions and the commentary and the challenging of the people in the audience. And I'm really looking forward to that type of format again. So I know I can count on you, David, but others as well. Like if things aren't making sense to you, or if you have a differing opinion, I would definitely invite you to come on live and share that. And let's talk through it and learn together as a group and a community. I'm also, uh, one of the, one of the most fulfilling things for me about doing these events is the DMS, emails, and other ways of communicating that I get from people saying, Hey, I tried this and I got a lot of results or, Hey, I listened to you when you said that you know, my CEO doesn't get it and I should go look for a new job. And I just got a new job as a VP of marketing and I'm pumped up or all of those different things where you can just take a little, it's not necessarily implementing the whole thing, but just taking a little nugget that applies to you here and being able to go and apply it and have success, I think is uh, such a, such a gift and something that gives me a lot of fulfillment. And now we're back with a new show. Also, we're planning on having a community built out of this in the future. So stay tuned to that. Um, and we've reinvented it based on key feedback from the community from the last time. Number one of the feedback, less opinions, more data. I think a lot of people know that, uh, historically I've been quite opinionated and it can be a little bit polarizing for some people. And so I'm committed in the show to when I share my thoughts, to have it ba backed by insights and data and to make this a lot more of an academic objective format. To be a more accessible time slot, we, we previously did Demand Gen Live at 7.30 p.m., primarily driven because we had set the meeting at 7.30 p.m. on the first time during COVID, and a lot of people were available during that time at the beginning of that time in the world. Um, but we'll be ho hosting this one on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, which gives some accessibility to EMEA and also gives accessibility to everyone across the U.S. to be able to attend this during working hours versus having to cut into things like family time or your other five to nine goals. 
number three tenant here, non-obvious insights only. I'm not coming here to regurgitate things that you've already heard or things that you already believe. My goal here is to share new, interesting thinking that challenges norms. And maybe it's not something that you do tomorrow, but it might spark a conversation in your company or your next marketing meeting or your next leadership team meeting and challenges you to consider different, different thinking and different ways of uh, looking at things. That's really what we're here to do. And then number four is being actionable, being able to take the insights from the material that I'm presenting or the questions during the AMA and being able to take that back into your business and implement them on the same day if you want to. And so it's going to be really rooted in how, what can I do to go and get this done today? As always, all the recordings will be published on the, uh, the Revenue Vitals podcast. So feel free to subscribe there if you're unable to make it to some event, although you won't be able to consume the slides and other material that are presented in video format. All of the research and intellectual property that I will be presenting today and in future episodes is available in our new product called The Vault. The Vault stores playbooks, frameworks, experiment data, other, other new key insights that we're finding executing with more than 200 companies. Uh, as well as consulting in a community. So if you're interested in that, you can feel free to reach out in the chat, visit refinelabs.com or the extended URL is refinelabs.com slash the hyphen vault. And as always, my intention is to have this event be interactive. And so we'll pre be presenting some material, but then we'll be going into a AMA ask, ask anything format. And one of the best things I like about Zoom is that we can have someone come on live and ask questions and we can actually go back and forth in a dialogue and get way deeper than you could with just a question in the chat. So if you feel comfortable and you have something that you want to talk about or a question, I'd encourage you to drop it in the chat and then you can note whether you'd like to come on live or you'd just like Kaylee to read out the question and for me to answer it and we'll cue those up in the AMA. And lastly, I just want to thank all of you for being here to be a part of episode one. This is a, a really big day for me. This is a really big day for my company. This is a really big day for where we're going in the future and what we can do for the marketing and sales profession and B2B. And so I appreciate all of you being here and your continued longtime support. So let's get into it. I'm going to share a couple of slides here, but it's not going to be an extended monologue. I'm not going to have anyone falling asleep here. Don't worry. Cool. So there's a couple of key topics that I'm looking forward to presenting here. Um, the first one is a concept that we've created called the pipe framework. Some people might've heard this on a podcast at one time, and we mentioned on a LinkedIn post, I'm interested in sharing just a couple of slides to further illustrate and detail out this framework and how you could apply it inside of your business. Next, we have experiment data, which is something that I'm going to be coming with prepared almost weekly. I'm not sure if I can commit to every week, but the goal is to be almost every single time we come on here today to be presenting new experiment data that generates insights that you can use in your business or, or challenges you to think. And then we're going to get into the AMA. So, and I'm going to try and move through this relatively quickly so that we can all get into a discussion and a, a community-based discussion. So the first thing is the pipe framework. This is a framework that uh, my company has developed over the past three and a half, four years by working with more than 200 companies. And it's mainly developed to improve marketing measurement, visibility, optimization, and reporting. And so I'll talk through what this means. And it's actually quite a simple concept when you think about it. And some companies have implemented this, but this creates a lot more structure in how you could do it. Before we, before we get into it, there's a really key foundational concept to communicate here first called pipeline sources, which creates a, uh, the foundation to understand the pipe framework. So I'll, I'll uh, share these right now. The old way that companies do it, I've been a part of this. I've consulted with plenty of companies that also do this and look at the old way where they look at attribution and reporting based on the department 
What did market? What mar- how did marketing leads do? How did our outbound do? Um, how did our sales do? How did our partner do? And some of that has validity, but it also creates a lot of downstream challenges. The, some of the downstream challenges is that each department is focused on getting typically first touch attribution, which drives marketing specifically to get the most leads at the lowest cost to gain attribution. My friend uh, Tom Wentworth added an interesting note as I made this post, which is that companies at this point, ha- the data is available and almost every company uses some level of a data tool. You could put every contact into your CRM from that data tool at all relevant accounts and then completely eliminate the, the, the idea of first touch attribution and uh, teams claiming credit on that. What happens is that marketing planning and forecasting breaks down because like, for instance, in the marketing side, you have like the, you know, a big enterprise company trying to get thousands of content syndication leads that your sales team may win at 0.1%. And that is rooted in a lot of data that I've, I've gathered with companies over the last three or four years. So a very low efficiency content syndication lead flow. And then they just mix it together with a lead flow of their demo requests or contact sales or request a quote that when, you know, their sales team wins one out of 12, there's also a huge level of difference between the buyer intent of these two things. And so they're all considered a lead, but the win rates, the sales productivity, the sales marketing alignment, all have downstream challenges. And what it does is it prior it because the credit is the same for a content syndication lead versus a demo request lead, if you're measuring on MQLs, that it actually incentivizes the marketing team to just go out and get as many cheap, low quality MQLs as possible to hit their 50,000 you know, MQL target. Departments ended up fighting over credit. I've experienced this in my career before, um, where you know marketing has something come through the, the website, say, hey, I want a demo request, and then sales is like, but, but I visited that account six months ago. Um, and then you get into this just debate that is not productive. It doesn't drive compensation plans. It doesn't have any real productivity around it. It's just the ingrained thinking of how companies have set up the attribution to work like this. And so what I'm suggesting is that companies move to a different version of pipeline sources that's focused on the intent of the buyer at the point of conversion. Some people call this tipping point. And so you have several different options here, like cold outbound, ABM or intent data driven outbound. Uh, low intent lead gen events partner and a a framework called pipe that I'm going to be sharing in a second. Some of the benefits of actually doing this is that you drive significantly better alignment across all go to market teams, because it's not about what department sourced it. It's about how did the buyer enter our pipeline for the most effective pipeline velocity, lowest customer acquisition cost, best overall outcome for the business, not for the department, having all teams work together, not fighting each other over credit creating an entirely new view for revenue leaders to look at their revenue system and decide where are we going to prioritize and focus? Where are we getting the best pipeline velocity? Where are we getting the lowest pipeline velocity? Typically where we get the lowest pipeline velocity is also where the most marketing investment goes because they're not looking at it in this view. It dramatically improves forecasting and accuracy because you get consistent win rates and conversion when you look at the buyer intent versus what department sourced it. So now let's get into the, the actual framework. So looking at it, basically you have, you have three or four really distinct motions inside of your revenue system. You have to create demand for buyers that are not in a buying cycle and not showing intent. You have to capture the demand when buyers go and demonstrate intent, whether that be online or offline and be able to go and capture that demand and get it into a sales conversation. You then need to convert demand, demand that has been created and captured, convert it into a closed one deal. And then you need to expand accounts, 
which is typically an account management or customer success function, but the, all of the functions inside of the business play a part in customer success and expansion, especially with the growing rise of NRR in the current economic climate. And so you can also, we've created standardized structured ways of looking at the overall pipeline. So when I say pipe, I mean a buyer that comes to the website and declares intent to buy from you saying, Hey, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to talk to your sales team about buying this right now and looking at it separately and distinctly from all of the low intent lead gen sources that companies use like content syndication, performance marketing, uh, any other things that would drive a high volume of MQLs that are not explicitly asking to have a sales conversation. And when you split these into two distinct sources, instead of just looking at it as marketing leads, you look at it as pipe conversions and you look at it as low intent lead gen pipeline source, you get a lot of interesting data and insights to look at, which is that, hey, in the low intent lead gen bucket, even though we got 20,000 leads, the conversion rate is so low, the pipeline velocity is so low, it's creating sales and marketing misalignment. Our SDRs are being unproductive for this way. What, what, when we look at it this way, what could we do to change how we're looking at both our marketing and expenditures and how we're collaborating with the sales team? So I, I, uh, and I'll go back right here so you can see there's a key point here with a concept called hero pipeline. A lot of, a lot of people will probably have heard me talk about this one. Cause I've been talking about it for some time. We've actually formalized this in our Salesforce app, which is in beta and will be thinking publicly available in March. It standardizes hero pipeline tracking, and it also automates self-reported attribution and other forms of attribution to help make decisions. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, drop it in the chat as well. That's uh, available for Salesforce. We might develop on HubSpot later. We'll see how it goes. And so you have this key point that says hero opportunity where inside of your pipeline, based on historical data, your sales team is going to win those opportunities at greater than 25%, which creates such, and that's, that becomes the goal of this channel and other channels to create pipeline that your sales team wins at greater than 25%. And a key misalignment that I see across companies is they, they use a stage to define pipeline rather than a sales outcome known, known through win rate, because the sales win rate of a pipe conversion where a buyer says, a ICP qualified buyer says, Hey, I want to buy now of stage three might be 42%. And the exact same stage three of an ABM intent driven outbound or cold outbound might be 13%. And because there's no standardized definition of pipeline, that pipeline is counted the same, it's forecasted the same, and it makes it more challenging to actually predict how much revenue you're going to get and at what time. Cool. I'm going to, that was just a brief overview. I invite questions and things like that. I'm actually going to move to the, the next this, uh, segment, which is experiment data, and then we're going to get into the AMA. So we've been doing experiments on Reddit advertising for quite some time now. We've launched it with, I think, more than 10 overall companies. We've been seeing positive overall signals worth exploring further in markets that are targeting enterprise software at finance audiences, marketing audiences, as well as cybersecurity audiences. And so uh, those are the validated audiences. And I'd encourage you, even if you're outside of those audiences, if you feel like you're uh, engine is mature and ready for something like this, I'd encourage you to try it out. And I'm going to share some of the things that we've learned so far. So the context, this is one example at one company, significant amounts of success in advertising dollars going into places like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google paid search, and then looking to expand into how are we going to create demand in net new buyers? And so the hypothesis was that reaching our audience, the audience that we're targeting here, which was a finance audience, 
is possible through Reddit advertising will drive engagement and will be correlated to pipeline measured via self-reported attribution. And to test the assumption, we started running ads. This is for six total clients, but I'm just going to talk through the one specifically. We spent over $60,000 in total over a period of more than six months. We tried tons of different creative variations and have gathered learnings that I'm going to share with you. And we also have a decent set of overall performance data that I believe through continued experimentation could improve to a place that is very important and effective. So first off, I just wanted to share a little bit on the creative. One of the key insights that we found is that actually meme style creative, and I, I'm like the, the, if you're looking at my personal opinion as Chris Walker, not as, not as the person presenting to you, my personal opinion is like, I would have never thought that memes would be the highest performing, right? Where in B2B audiences going after executive level titles like CFOs or CISOs, like how is this, uh, how, how is this actually the thing that's most effective? And through the experiment, that's actually what we found. And so, and we, we measured that through engagement as well as through um, the outcomes of self-reported attribution. So you can see some examples here. This is for a marketing audience as we didn't want to share confidential data from our customers, but this is examples that we could use in a marketing audience. And then some of the overall data, uh, $60,000 in spend over a period of time, 40 total pipe conversions that were attributed via self-reported attribution that some that people said, I found you, I heard about you through Reddit, specifically in self-reported attribution. That's a key insight that you'd never be able to get this data if you didn't have self-reported attribution installed. It wouldn't get tracked by attribution software. It wouldn't follow UTMs because this isn't direct response marketing. So that is a key foundational item that you would need to actually launch and, and prove success of this experiment. It also shows, and this is this data is from a finance audience, right? So it also shows that it's not like just marketers out there are reporting positively and accurately in self-reported attribution. This is in the finance audience. This is in cybersecurity. This is in other places with more technical audiences. I've received a lot of comments and concerns about the accuracy of self-reported attribution. Some people noting it, and my my thinking back to them is that if you're just getting things like online research or uh, Google or things like that. Self-reported attribution is actually doing what it's supposed to do. It's giving you the insight about where people are hearing about you. You're not getting Reddit or podcast or LinkedIn, most likely because it's a function of your overall demand strategy and you either aren't executing there or you aren't executing well enough for it to be driving an impact. And so whether you get the data of podcast, Reddit or things like that, or you get all Google and things like that, the measurement is showing exactly what you're supposed to. And there's a question that's queued up where I'm going to go into more detail about uh, self-reported attribution and some of the, some of the key mistakes or, or fallbacks that I see when people try to implement it. Getting back on this, it was a $1.5,000 per pipe conversion through Reddit. This is for a $40,000 ACV product pipe conversions in this company went at about 10%, which gives you a $15,000 advertising cost of acquisition for a $40,000 ACV product, less than a six month advertising CAC payback period. And that is with our, our initial experiment through ongoing improvements, optimizations, and scale, we'd expect this number to go way down and actually have significantly uh, positive overall outcomes. Uh, in the experiment, $222,000 in hero pipeline generated, which means that they're going to win at minimum, divided by 25, about at minimum $50,000 in pipeline, which gives you a one-to-one -one, uh, spend on advertising. And there was a 3.7 ratio between advertising spend and pipeline created. That's a pipeline per advertising dollar ratio. 
of 3.7. We're typically targeting for, for mature programs greater than eight. So this underperformed our expectations overall. But again, given the, exper- the initial experiments and just overall learning, I think this is actually a very positive overall result that a lot of people could learn from and use in their business. And with all that, I tried to, tried to slide through those quickly because what I value most about these events is interacting with you, getting your questions, hearing your opinions. And so I'm going to stop the screen share and would invite any, any queued up questions. We can talk through them live together. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about the material presented today. So feel free if there's something that's on your mind or top of mind in your business right now that didn't relate to what we talked about, feel free to drop that as a question as well. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the questions. There's so many. I'm trying to keep up with all of them. If anybody in particular wants to come on and ask their question uh, for us, just make sure and note that. Otherwise, I'll start with questions because, Chris, we've got a ton. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Um, is a pipe qualified meeting or a lead based on a BANT um, med pick or a challenger criteria? What's your criteria for a pipe qualified meeting? There is no SDR qualification mechanism used for this conversion. The rationale is that we have a ICP qualified buyer. The ICP and the target accounts have been defined in advance or the firmographics that make it a target account in advance. A buyer from that account that's qualified comes in and says, hey, I want to buy now. They automatically meet qualification criteria of the account or, and or the persona. They get routed directly to an account executive with a meeting booked ideally through technology at the time of conversion, and there's no SDR involved. The rationale here is that when a buyer that's qualified that says, hey, I want to buy now, that typically has a C-level VP director title, they don't need BANT. They, they clearly have the intent, and they clearly have the fit, and let's send that directly to account executive instead of wasting the, the uh, qualified buyer's time going through a BANT conversation with an SDR that's really built for outbound or low intent lead gen. When you think about separating these into two things, you can you should probably run BANT for low intent lead gen sources. Like if you're following up on an ebook download, you should use an SDR for that because it's low productivity. But when you look at buyers that have already through historical data are closing at you know, one out of 12 or one out of 10 or sometimes even one out of eight, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. The buy, it's already clear in the data. It's already clear based on the firmographics and the buyer intent that this person is qualified and ready for a sales conversation with an AE. And so we recommend just sending it there for the pipe conversions, which include declared intent conversions of a buyer saying, hey, I'd like a demo. Hey, I'd like a quote. Hey, can I talk to sales or other forms of conversion that say, hey, I'm, I want to talk to your sales team about this now. Beautiful. Yeah. If there's follow-up on that, just go ahead and drop it into the chat and we'll make sure and get that rounded out. But there's tons of questions and interest specifically around Reddit. So maybe let's try and do a speed round. Let's do it. For Reddit. That's great. How do you identify that someone has come through SRA? So did someone specifically mention memes? This person states that when they've done it in the past, um, people have through SRA mentioned the channel holistically, but not the specific image type. Yeah, so we had a couple of interesting effects here in this experiment. So first off, most people are not mentioning memes specifically. Most people in self-reported attribution are going to mention the program, Reddit, podcast, LinkedIn. Many people are not going to say Reddit paid or LinkedIn paid. They're not going to distinguish between paid or organic, which is another thing about that's really a a direct response, like software-based attribution thinking. You should be thinking about it as a program, Reddit, and then you have initiatives underneath it, Reddit organic, Reddit paid, other, you know, Reddit sponsored or other things like that. One really interesting thing that we found in this data is that the, some people that were going in and converting on self-reported attribution actually linked with the URL to the place where they found us. 
And so they would send the URL, which gave us the data back regarding the memes. Is it perfect in 100%? No, but it's a really interesting qualitative insight that we, we saw in a small sample that pointed back to the meme creative. Additionally, the engagement on the meme creative, although not a perfect indicator of success, was skewing toward higher engagement and higher results for the meme creative versus other forms that might be more traditional banner ad style or other forms of creative. Mm -hmm. there, there's also a ton of interest in length of campaign. And I think this also could just be more broadly addressed as well for understanding how much time or runway you need to give or dedicate to a certain program before you start seeing some of these positive signals. So I think that this, uh, this answer is highly dependent on the maturity of your overall, you know, demand and marketing system, and also the life cycle stage of the business. And so if you are a mature business that has a really strong engine already, maybe you give it more time and you have more investments and experiments. If you're a series A company that may not may run out of cash in four months, you have to have a different level of, of scrutiny on investments and where you actually focus. I had one more point that I wanted to make, but I lost it. Could you say the question one more time and I'll get to it? How long should you give runway or invest in a program before you start seeing those positive signals or abandon entirely? Yeah. Um, so I think it's based on the maturity stage of the company. Another thing to, to consider is the comparing it against the level of investment that you're putting there. And so instead of looking at it as a, just a time signal, looking at it as an ROI calculation, right? And so we're going to be producing like sort of like a spreadsheet or template that people can use here to look at this over a period of time, because really what you should be looking at when you're doing new experiments is ROI. If you're only investing a thousand dollars, like you have, you should have a certain level of expectation on ROI. Maybe if you're only investing a thousand dollars that you could let that experiment run for a lot longer. If you're investing a million dollars a month to be an extreme example, then your tolerance, and I don't, I never would recommend running an experiment with a, a million dollars a month, maximum 50,000, but ideally less than $25,000 $25, a month for net, net new experiments. But your tolerance at that spend is going to be different. And I think that if you look generally, if for a company that's more mature and actually has an experimentation or revenue engineering function, that looking at having, having a net positive ROI over a six month time frame is the ideal. So if you invested, for instance, $5,000 a month for six months, that means total investment of just advertising spend. You could look at headcount. You could look at agency fees and other things like that if you wanted to, but let's just for the sake, we invested $30,000 over a six-month period of time. Over that six months, we generated in cumulative $500,000 in hero pipeline that we know historically is going to win that greater than 25%, which means that we're going to create at least $125,000 in close one revenue off of the $30,000 in advertising investment, which makes a significant, it's almost a 4X ROI over six months. And you should expect increasing results from there. So I think that a lot of people look at just the time signal, but when we frame it up to a CFO, especially in this, these types of times and framing it up against ROI and really leveraging the hero pipeline metric to be able to project out revenue based on a consistent win rate metric, it allows you to not have to wait for maybe your 90 plus day sales cycle to actually be closed one to be able to forecast revenue and make an R make an ROI conversation earlier on in the process. Exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of ROI, everybody's really interested in understanding uh, if anybody that was in this experiment or more broadly, we recommend running paid and organic simultaneously, if that was part of this experiment or if we recommend it, two separate questions. 
so um, broadly, I think I, I can't I can't say this across the board, but I can't think of many instances where I wouldn't recommend if you have the resources and ability to have both a paid and organic initiative underneath a program that you're investing in. Just like at our company, we have a pretty dramatic organic engine on LinkedIn. And we also have a paid engine on LinkedIn that supplements that to targeted accounts. In this particular experiment, to my knowledge, there was no organic engine going on during this experiment, which could conflate results and things like that. So that wasn't happening. This was independent and isolated to only paid to my knowledge. I think that gets the bulk of the Reddit specific questions, but if I've missed one, I'm sure I'll find it in this list of chat in just a minute. Let's switch gears for a second. We've got a couple of questions coming from YouTube too. Uh, how do you determine which channels holistically to experiment with? The number one answer to this is either leveraging research, like some of the ones I presented to you, right? You're a company here, you target a finance audience. I just presented some pretty compelling data that shows that, hey, Reddit might be a good place to reach finance level titles to sell enterprise software. So you could leverage some form of research, data-backed research. The alternative that I think is also very compelling is primary customer research. So going out to customers, perhaps in a survey, perhaps in one-to-one -one interviews and saying, hey, who are the people that you listen to? Where are the places that you get information to decide what business priorities to solve? Where are you going to understand what technology to purchase? And then leveraging the patterns that you get back from customers to then go and prioritize experiments, then you have to filter it through uh, an additional level of feasibility. What's the what's the barrier to entry or cost to do this? Maybe like some places have a significant investment in content that you're not able to move into. So you have to go through a level of after research. You have to go through some level of feasibility to make prioritization de decisions for your specific business. Um, but it's definitely there's like a research element that I think can be really powerful for companies getting insights from your customers or getting insights from reputable third-party sources about the data that they're collecting based on certain audiences. Yeah. And then I think to double down on Chris's last point, understanding to what cards you already have stacked in your deck is really helpful um, because something might be very applicable or very helpful for your company that you already have access to or you know have in your database, et cetera, that other companies might not. Um, I love that, Kaylee. I, yeah, I'd encourage you to keep dropping in those thoughts when you have more to add. That's really helpful for people. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what can small boutique firms learn from larger firms in terms of RevGen? Are there principles that work for small firms that we're missing out on? Are there principles that work for big firms that small firms are missing out on? Correct. So I think that one of the main differences between big firms and small firms is some level of the combination of these two things, which is brand awareness or category maturity. So two of those things. Um, and when that happens in a mature business, oftentimes the revenue programs don't need to be as effective to drive the outcomes that the business needs because there's established demand for both the brand there's word of mouth in the market because they have market penetration, or there's a lot of existing demand for a category that they're already playing in. I give this example a lot, um, but like if you think about, I haven't seen Salesforce do any marketing except for the things that I see with Mark Benioff on like a news channel about their stock. I haven't seen Salesforce do any marketing in years except for maybe they're a Dreamforce event. And they're still gonna drive tons of revenue because they have an ex they're a category leader, they're in a very mature category, and they're they're everyone knows them and uses them, and so there's 
a lot of things that work in big companies that actually don't work in small companies. And I think that's the, the learning here. And in small companies, the advantages that you have or the advantages that you can use is being way closer to the customer, solving a much more narrow niche problem, targeting far more effectively, experimenting in places that other companies, like I just presented on Reddit, that a big company would say, oh, it's Reddit, like we'll wait for Gartner to put out a report in 2027 before we start experimenting on Reddit. Um, I think being smarter and being close to the customer are some of the major advantages of small firms. And to give credit to bigger firms, I think one of the things that bigger firms do really well is data and process. Over time, you have to mature in those places so they have much more consistent data. They look at it in a much more standardized way and they can inform decisions based on that data. And in smaller companies, a lot of companies just don't have that luxury. Maybe they can't afford a RevOps person. Maybe they can't even afford a CRM at the beginning. Um, and so to sort of be balanced in both sides, I think that there are, there are, there are distinct differences between a, a startup that may be trying to pave their way in a category or even trying to get demand in an existing category versus a large company. There are both pros and cons, but what I found over my career is that there's actually very, there's very little overlap to learn in a, from a small company, from a big company. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Um, another from YouTube. I think that he's asking if some of that SRA data that we were pulling is based off of qualitative data or where we believe our buyers want to go must be in response yeah. to SRA. Yeah. Do you want to, you know, that picture I dropped it in Slack. Why don't you ask that question too? Cause they kind of ask the same thing or the answer will be similar. Yeah, let's do it. So the question that came through LinkedIn, uh, should we be worried about the accuracy of the how did you hear about us data? People can pick the first entry or don't know what to pick. So for example, the user reads an article on social media and then has to pick between the article or social media. Do you have a specific list of options that you would limit to to avoid too many options or user fatigue? Yeah, so uh, I think this will be helpful to a lot of people. Um, a lot of a lot of people try and use a drop-down menu and self-reported attribution to make the downstream data analysis easier, but in the process, create tons of biases in their market research. Giving options creates a, a huge level of bias in the research where I agree. If there's a drop-down and someone asks me it, the, the actual answer in the drop-down might not be there for me. Or I might just pick the first one, which most people put as Google, and just pick the first one to just get out of the question. So what we've recommended very strongly and what we've implemented at tons of different companies and seen a lot of success is no dropdown, no helper text, and required field so that everyone must come through it. And again, these are only on pipe declared intent conversion form. So this isn't like your AB test to get your ebook when you're driving tens of thousands of people from paid search. This is people that are coming to your website going to a demo forum and saying, Hey, I want to buy now to have proper market research principles by not introducing suggestions, helpers, or options for dropdowns. You actually limit or almost eliminate biases in the data because the person just has to write what's there. And if you have effectively created demand, then people will mention that we get that almost most of the time. A lot of people complain or maybe complain is not the right word. A lot of people 
comment on the accuracy of self-reported attribution and what I respond to them at is like, if you don't want to use self-reported attribution, you don't have to. What you should acknowledge though, is that the other tools that you use to make measurement decisions and how to drive your strategy are incomplete and you actually aren't getting the sources of what's actually creating demand. Self-reported attribution happens to be free. Can it be implemented in one day and can get you tons of qualitative insights for customers. And when you ask, how did you hear about us? It's not, we've never gotten where they wish we were. Like the question is very well framed. How did you hear about us? And you get a lot of good data. You can go further from there, which we recommend in a hybrid attribution model to add other things like perhaps asking on the first sales call and getting more detail about that, completing a win loss analysis and understanding in a lot more detail what actually happened during the journey to do surveys and other research people that aren't in market to buy and aren't showing intent to understand at a deeper level at the higher end or the early stages of the buying process where people are hearing about you, which might be very different than what people answer at the point of conversion. But the, the clear and simple answer is that this is a very easy, super high ROI way to get customer insights into your marketing and demand strategy to be able to make, a, make critical adjustments in how you're actually creating demand and be able to assess, are we even effectively creating it? And where is it coming from? Some of the greatest insights I've, I ask people, I ask people when they say, hey, this has been one of the greatest things I've ever done in marketing. It was so easy. I say, what's the, what's the greatest insight that you've gotten from it so far? Yesterday, someone said, because we know exactly who the people are that are referring us business. Because people will say, I heard about you from this person, or I heard about you from this person. And you can literally go to them and then either work out a partnership deal, incentivize them differently, do co-marketing with them, just thank them. There are a lot of things that you can do with that data and if you had it, but the reality is that because of some of the concerns on accuracy and other things like that, a lot of companies are apprehensive to implement what I believe and what I've seen to be a highly effective strategy. Yeah, a few other notes on this. Um, Alex actually left a comment in the chat as well that said the, how did you hear about us application was a game changer for their company. Uh, we were able to see our closed one deals in 2022 and the attribution mirage. Uh, leaders are still focusing on attribution tech, but we're making progress and bringing it to light. So 2023 will be a challenge in this way, but going to keep pushing, we're looking forward to being challenged and learning new things, which is cool. I think that the most common pushback that I hear on this is they are concerned that the self-reported attribution answer or response that their prospects are going to enter into that field submission if it's open text is that their submission will be biased, which of course it probably will. But my normal response to that is like, isn't that exactly what you want? Don't you want to know what actually pushed them over the line to actually raise their hand and submit a demo, request a contact us form, whatever the case may be. Um, to Chris's point, attribution software is also biased. So don't you at least want to hear it from them directly as to what got them here. So and I then it's all like a, really good. A key other note to help on the, uh, the comment is that these aren't competing. They're two separate things. Attribution <laughs> software is most often measuring what is capturing the demand, which is why in attribution software, you get direct traffic, organic search, paid search, or lead gen programs, because those are things that have the easiest capture demand attribution. And in self-reported attribution, typically you get what created the demand, how they heard about you, what drove them to buy. And people bring in a lot of the attribution software mindset into the self-reported attribution methodology when they should be two very distinct things. People bring in the touch. Then they say like, 
why wouldn't you say how did we how'd you first hear about us or when we when we say how did you hear about us what what touch are we actually getting and the point is that touches are an attribution software thing and what we're getting in self-reported attribution is typically the most impactful program not a touch when people come into our website and say we heard about you on the podcast or we heard about you on linkedin it's probably because they've been touched a hundred plus times through those programs and so it's not about one, I think the attribution is very flawed in how it thinks about the sequence of touches and the timing versus the impact of the aggregate of the touches and the timing. Yeah, we've got a couple of DMs too that are coming. Let me try and see how many more of these we can get through. Um, I realize this says, I realize that Chris doesn't believe in the typical tofu, mofu, bofu exists anymore. Either you are in market or out of market. Um, what do you think of retargeting engaged prospects with retargeting ads? Is that effective? Which channels have performed the best? So it would be difficult to argue that marketing to qualified buyers that at qualified accounts that have been on your website is a bad thing. So I would say that you should definitely, you know, do that if that's a, uh, a strategy of yours and it makes a lot of sense. I will note a couple of things that the way that retargeting is measured is flawed, just like display ads is flawed, gets measured through view through conversions. I've done these experiments at companies where like someone visits your website, they enter a retargeting audience on LinkedIn, you send them a couple of ads, they convert at a different time, not direct response through the ad. It gets counted as a view through conversion, which basically means that any person that visited your website is going to get that ad and be counted as a conversion regardless of the impact of the channel. Um, we'll do more experiments on that, but I see people promoting that level, like, hey, we lose on cold targeting and we win, we win big on retargeting, but it's actually not that simple. I think I had one more point. I think it's probably around the tofu, mofu, bofu. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, I think that it is incorrect to make the assumption that because someone has been to your website, that means that they have intent to buy your stuff. Exactly. I think the problem is the philosophy like that we, you know, thought made sense 10 years ago where we're assuming as marketers or revenue leaders that, oh, you've we know you. So you're tofu. Let us send you this very top of funnel educational definitional content to like get you aligned to who we are. Now you've seen it twice or watched 25 percent of the video or whatever our criteria was. Let's move you into Bofu content, et cetera. All of those are assumptions that we make on the back end, not anything that actually reflects your buyer and where they are in their journey. Exactly. I, I visit tons of sales and marketing SaaS vendors because I'm prospecting because I want to see what they're doing for messaging because I want inspiration on how to build our website. There's many reasons that I would visit their website that have nothing to do with my interest to buy their software. Um, and so it's not to say that you shouldn't retarget. I definitely want to make the message clear that retargeting makes a lot of sense, but watch your frequency and watch that you have the appropriate creative and try to measure more appropriate appropriately than just view through conversions. Um, but generally my response on retargeting is that you should be running it. Yes. Okay. Next question. I I'm looking for a new role and I'm having trouble finding a company that won't try to put me on the MQL hamster wheel. Do you have any advice? Oh, also they're interested in understanding if we have a refine labs or a Chris Walker community, uh, where we can all talk together and share ideas outside of these live events. So two questions. Yeah. So, um, as of right now, we'll be We'll be creating an initiative to figure out the community so that everyone can be a part of it. We'll commit to doing that. I don't have a clear sense on timeline. We have to look and balance other priorities, but that's something that I really want to do. 
Um, and then another thing, both on the candidate side as well as on the company side, if you are interested in trying to either find a company or find talent that aligns with a lot of the things that we're saying here, we're looking to have some form of a connector here at my company where we can connect companies to talent. Companies will be vetted based on their alignment to our strategy, their product market fit, other things. So companies will be vetted and then we can send talent uh people that want or look for a company that that operates in the ways that we do, we'd be able to direct you to a set of companies that we've already vetted. And so if you're interested in that as a business, feel free to shoot me a DM on LinkedIn. If you're interested in that as a candidate, feel free to uh, also shoot me a DM on LinkedIn, or maybe we'll create a form on that on the next episode. But that's something that I'm really, I get that question all the time. And it's fine that we actually address it and solve it. Because it's really hard, honestly, to be out there as a candidate and, and go to each company and try and evaluate whether or not once you get in there, you're going to be on the MQL hamster wheel. And then three months in, the company sold you a dream that you were going to do all those things. And then when you get in there, you're like, damn, I'm doing the exact same dumb shit that I was doing at my last company. And so that's something that I have a lot of passion for. And I think it would help a lot of people. And so uh, we will commit to making that happen, whether through the community or another way as well. Beautiful. How is the pipe slash ad spend equal to eight recommendation calculated? You had mentioned during your Reddit uh, portion or segment that we're going for an eight, but landed at a two. So is this just based on pipe converting at 25% so you get a two row as or something entirely different? Yeah, totally. If you're at if you're at an eight to one uh, pipeline advertising spend, it means that you're going to win at least 25%, but it could be higher. Some companies here are going to win at 33 or 40 which so at minimum you're at a two to one, uh, two to one ROAS or minimum six, uh, less than six month advertising customer acquisition cost payback period for an initial experiment. So that is the overall goal at scale. I've seen these as high as 20. I also watch companies put together their plans for next year. And when you actually do this calculation, they have it at a hundred to one. And it's a huge flag to a marketer or a demand leader to say, Hey, these goals aren't realistic. You're projecting that we should get $100 in pipeline for every dollar we spend in programs. And the reality is that eight or $10 per dollar is actually an acceptable answer based on the business data and also based on the benchmarks and standards that are presented by high profile VC firms like OpenView and others. It would, you'd actually be a top 10% performer if you are hitting that number of eight to one. Because most companies are operating with a CAC payback pre, you know, macroeconomic shift greater than 24 months. Right now, during this shift, it's uh, upwards of 36 months. Um, and so that's that's where the standard comes from. Also, with a lot of my experience, I think that you don't have to be a you don't have to be an absolute all star to hit that hit that type of number. I think when you start exceeding 15 or 20, it really means that you've figured that out and you've mastered something and you should pour more money into it as much as that's allowable money or resources, not just advertising dollars. Um, and it should be a flag, not during the experimentation phase, but when you start investing significant money, if you're getting, you know, two to one spend to pipeline dollars or things like that, which if you break out non-branded search from branded search, a lot of companies are less than $1 to $1 in hero pipeline which means that they're like a quarter to one in close one. Um, and so using this as a flag across a lot of distinct channels, using either software-based attribution for demand capture channels or trying to use self-reported attribution as a surrogate for demand creation channels can at least give you a baseline and a barometer of, hey, how am I doing? And I think like an eight to one to a 10 to one is a really strong benchmark to work off of because it, the unit economics makes sense. 
Um, I think we need to address TikTok. A lot of people are also interested in understanding the success you've found on TikTok. Um, this person in particular mentioned that they're able to get buy-in to test it as a channel, but they're not doing weekly lives, um, only posting short snippets of leaders in our company on different topics. Who I got a lot to share on this one. <laughs> so I think one of the key benefits to operating here is that if you look at what other platforms are doing, YouTube Shorts, Instagram Reels, LinkedIn is behind, but will be forced to catch up and move to vertical, native, video-first content. All platforms are going to converge on this content format, just like three or four years ago, platforms converged on the story format. Um, because it's simply better to the user. Also, additionally, the algorithm is much more sophisticated than other platforms. Definitely, you know, years or could be decades ahead of where the LinkedIn algorithm is in serving you the content that you want. And so as a, if you're just an individual marketer thinking out into the future, learning this skill and understanding it will be valuable and applicable to a lot of different places later on. That isn't necessarily a business rationale to start doing it right now. And so some of the guardrails that I would think about, about whether I implemented in my business or not is, do we have a podcast already? Can we create content that people like? Do we have a LinkedIn stream? Do we have some way to effectively measure this using self-reported attribution? Do we have buy-in to this idea of doing different experiments at our company that aren't going to get killed by an executive after 15 or 30 days because we haven't seen any results? I think you need to look at some of the foundational items before you start moving into other platforms like a TikTok. A couple other things that I'll, I'll mention here is that I have I tested the live format. You might have heard it on the podcast. I did probably about 25 episodes over the time. Um, I found that not having the interactive back and forth and being able to see people was actually very detrimental to the event style. And it, it didn't give the amount of depth that's needed, especially in the subject matter that we're speaking about. So I've moved back to Zoom and I think I like just love this format. I love talking and seeing people on here. I love the reaction. I get the energy and the feedback of how people are reacting. I just find it to be a much better format. And so, and then we've, we get some, I think if you look at the revenue R and D framework, we have TikTok in level two, we've probably closed close to a half a million ARR through people that self-report hearing about us on TikTok which is a good result overall, but I also spent a lot of effort in there. And so if you think about is the juice worth the squeeze or would my effort be invested somewhere else better? I think if you look at it as a business executive, oftentimes you'd find that the effort would be invested better, especially if you're in like more of an enterprise format with a smaller TAM. If you're selling, you know, Miro or project management or some horizontal wide solutions, I think that you should actually be looking at platforms like that because you can get immense scale that you can't get in other places. But for more niche TAMs, maybe there's a better opportunity. I'd also consider this idea of retargeting using that platform and understanding just like, let's say we get 30,000 website visitors to our website every month, and then we run a retargeting audience on TikTok and we get a reach of 15,000. That at least tells us that 15, you know, 50% of our website visitors are actually using the platform at some point. So it could just be for that level of research to understand how many how many of our users are actually there. And that could give you an insight to, you know, go pro or con, positive or negative to stop doing it or keep doing it just by, you know, doing a couple hundred dollar test with retargeting. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get this one in too. We've got another from YouTube. Lots of friends on YouTube today. Um, I'm in BD at a SaaS startup in the NFT space. Think Shopify, but for NFTs. 
Our cash is tight, so efforts have been on free channels like YouTube and podcast interviews. We have a clear focus on segmentation for fashion brands, but without paid, is it best for us to focus on content like interviewing segment CEOs on the subject or what levers do you feel like would be most useful in our situation? I like in this situation where you either, you know, your business has low gross margins and can't support cost of acquisition and paid channels, you actually just don't have the the cash on hand to support a customer acquisition cost payback period because you don't have enough cash in the bank or for other reasons, you know, you have a low marketing budget. All those roads lead back to this dynamic format that I'm basically it's meta showing you how to do right now. Live event, get talk about the subject matter uh, that attracts the people that care. Use the format not to sell to those people, but to create and collaborate on content and to learn and to develop your product and work on your messaging and share and help people. Convert that content into a podcast, strip it down, make it into video, distribute that video into micro content on YouTube Shorts, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, wherever you think is the best opportunity based on where your buyers are and the opportunity and reach available on that platform. That is a, and what that requires is really to have a unique point of view and to have a, dare I say, evangelist that is going to be able to communicate to buyers in a credible and authoritative, not even necessarily authoritative, credible and community-based way to share ideas. Um, the cost of it is minimal, a mic, $40 a month Zoom license, promotion on free channels, you could use email. Um, I think that is really the best way to get started and it force and then like we'll see next week my best barometer of how successful or valuable an event is is we did this event and then next week do people come do the same people that were here come back what percentage of people come back do we have larger attendance does that infer that there was word of mouth about driving it does it infer that people were listening to the podcast heard about it and wanted to come next time so you get very quick, immediate feedback based on the attendance of live events about whether or not what you're saying is actually valuable and people find it worth their time to attend for an hour out of the million other things that they could do with an hour of their time. Well I, think, said. I think that's um, a, uh, let's get one more if you have one queued up. I was going to say, if we have one more, we can do one more and then we can end roughly on time. Um, specifically for the, how did you hear about us question? Um, one of your follow-up suggestions was that you could also have the sales team once they get them on the call or on the demo to ask a follow-up question to get more clarity or refinement around the original SRA submission. Do, do you actually recommend that users create a different field in their CRM? How do you go about tracking that and implementing a process? So I actually believe that self-reported attribution is a far more accurate way to look at to to look at it and convert to qualitative the reason being is that when you introduce a human asking questions you can have biases in the questions that you ask you can have biases in how what you hear so actually re reporting bias or listening bias you can get bias in data entry you know an sdr or an ae finishes the call and then they have to jump right to a next demo or they have to a prep so they don't do their data entry till the end of the day. And then they, they have to go back and remember what a buyer said, like eight different buyers said throughout the call and put that back into the CRM. There are a lot of biases and potential measurement errors that get introduced when you have a human asking that question, interpreting the answers and trying to put a response in manually with data. Um, I hope that a, you know a conversation intelligence or level like tool like that, a call recording tool, would build this into their product and push it into a field. You know, do 
automated analysis of that, push it into a field inside of Salesforce and be able to use that at some point. And maybe that's a product tip for a, one of those, one of those tools. They already have all the data. They just need to analyze it and create a field. So, um, that's, I would avoid like manual entry or manual interpretation at that, at that measurement stage at all costs. It definitely gives you a good qualitative sense, but trying to put that into a CRM and then use that data to make decisions, I think can be very dangerous. If you are, you know, the, a founder led sales company, 500 K ARR, the founders taking every sales call, then they can ask that call and then just use that and collect the information in their brain to inform decisions and not attempt to do it in a quantitative way, which can be highly useful if you have one or two sellers that are out there experimenting and collecting data. Um, but I think when you start to reach more of a point of scale and then you try and use that data to inform decisions and maybe you have like five or 10 reps, you got five SDRs or more, I think it could get very dangerous and potentially send you in the wrong direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And if for whatever reason you think you're going to try and do this, I would not recommend overriding the existing SRA field Definitely with not. this data. You Correct. should 100% stand up a separate field if you feel like you need to try it out um, just so that you can maintain what the actual prospect told you in their SRA submission. With that, Chris, we're at the top of the hour. Do you want to close us out? Cool, everyone. This felt really right to me. I appreciate you all being there. Um, I tried to bring, like I mentioned in the tenants, I really tried to bring objectivity to this. I tried to bring less opinions. I hope you noticed that. Sometimes it's hard for me to do that. And I really did hold hold true to the promise there. Um, I hope this was valuable for all of you. I hope that uh, it's different. I hope that we are delivering something that you may not be able to get in another place. Um, and I hope that you all enjoyed it. And I hope that we see you back next week or at a future episode if you're unable to make it next week. Really appreciate all your continued support and uh, hope you all have a great, successful 2023. Let's do it. See you, everyone. <laughs>